the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The term empath can be used to describe a person who experiences a great deal of empathy, often to the point of taking on the pain of others. These highly sensitive people give too much at their own expense. According to today's guest, Dr. Judith Orloff, it's important for empaths to incorporate daily self-care practices that protect them from the stresses of an overwhelming world. She's here today to discuss tools that empaths can employ to stay healthy and happy. Dr. Orloff is a psychiatrist and a member of the UCLA Psychiatric Clinical Faculty. She's a New York Times bestselling author whose new book is Thriving as an Empath, 365 Days of Self-Care for Sensitive People. Welcome, Dr. Orloff. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. So, Dr. Orloff, I love when you come on our show because I always enjoy our conversations because I'm an empath, and I learned so much from you, and your strategies always help me manage my life. So for listeners that may not be familiar with the term, what is an empath, and how can someone tell if he or she fits the profile? An empath is somebody who is very sensitive and intuitive and open, but doesn't have the same filters that other people have. So we tend to feel things uh, more strongly than others. And we have big hearts, but we tend to also take on the stress of the world and the stress of others and tend to be over-helpers or over-givers, so we risk sensory overload and exhaustion. So as a psychiatrist and an empath, I know how important self-care is to be able to stay centered, to not absorb other people's energy, to be able to not over-give and learn how to set boundaries. So all of those are skills empaths learn. And when I apply these skills to my life, the the challenges of being an empath are lessened and the gifts are just amplified. You have an empath self-assessment test on your website, drjudithorloff.com. And out of the 20 questions, I have 18 yeses and one that could go either way. So I'm a full-blown empath, and that's really no surprise for me. As I said, I I believe that I am, and I often wonder, is being an empath a superpower or is it a super stressor? Oh, it's both. Uh, If you have self-care tools, though, it's a superpower, and it's a power that you enjoy. It brings you depth. It brings you compassion and love and relationships and connection to nature. If you if you like connection to people and to nature, being an empath is the way to go. It's, you know, if you have, you know, that neurological makeup, it allows you to really love people and to really connect to life, to people. It's just a, a beautiful depth that you have if you're an empath. And it's only a stressor if you don't learn the self-care techniques because then you're wide open to stresses. If you meet an energy vampire, let's say, you have no strategies to use. You know, if you have a complainer or a drama queen or a chronic talker, you just get mowed over by them. And so what I wanted to offer in this book is what do you do if you encounter a chronic talker? Here is what you do. So you have a plan. 
And then that, if you have a lot of different plans for different problem areas, then you're empowered because you know how to deal with it. Doctor, what is actually happening in the brain when a person is an empath? Well, it's thought that the mirror neuron system, the compassion neurons in the brain are hyperactive, meaning they're really working overtime where you feel compassion for everyone and everything and they don't shut off. Um, And so that can be a problem unless you learn how to work with that. But compassion is the, the main quality that empaths have. They have extreme amount of compassion. Are empaths sometimes diagnosed with personality disorders or things like ADHD, anxiety, depression? Empaths are diagnosed with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and my big gripe with the medical profession is that they don't know how to diagnose empaths. If you are an empath, that changes everything. Right. Because whatever diagnosis you are given, let's say you have chronic fatigue, let's say you have ADD, um, whatever diagnosis you have, it's going to be colored by being an empath. And so by learning how to maximize your empathic skills and deal with the challenges, sometimes the other illnesses disappear or sometimes they just lessen. But if you're an empath, let's say with a very real physical disease going on, if you're not practicing self-care, that disease will be much more challenging. And if we're not practicing the self-care that you teach, then we can end up getting over-medicated or medicated unnecessarily. Exactly. And that happens all the time where empaths get medicated with antidepressants, anti-anxiety, this medicine, that medicine. And that's not usually the first line of treatment for empaths. The first line of treatment is, number one, you diagnose an empath. Number two, you take a history and develop a plan for which areas are your problem areas, which areas are you being drained, which areas are you being stressed and challenged. Now, do you take on the stress and emotions from other people? All right, the plan is if I work with somebody, it's how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? If you are an overgiver, if you take on the emotions of other people, now how can you regulate that, that empowerment and self-regulation? It's really incredible for empaths. If a person realizes that he or she is an empath and they're exhibiting some of the types of of symptoms that we've talked about, how can that person get the proper diagnosis? Are there doctors and therapists out there that even recognize this? Where can they go? Um, Well, you know, the, the integrative medicine doctors and the functional medicine doctors are more apt to understand this. And I'm certainly, you know, doing an educational you know, training for healthcare practitioners. And it's ever so helpful to have a community because many empaths feel isolated, alone, misunderstood. And particularly their nurses, their doctors, psychologists, they're on their own. They don't have a, a supportive collegial uh, system. And so when you learn you know, how to find your system and your network, it makes a huge difference. Understanding what we're experiencing is the first step. It's really up to us to watch what's going on within us. So how can a person, therefore, learn to spot the first signs of sensory overload? Um, Well, what I would do is go through thriving as an empath. It starts with January 1st, and it ends with December 31st. And there's a a, each day is devoted to a different self-care technique, and one of them is spotting sensory overload where you notice in your body the signs where lights are too bright, people seem too loud and too much is coming at you too fast, you might have various symptoms, you might feel tired, you might get irritable. Now you have to notice, you know, you how do you feel baseline and then how do you feel when you start to get the first signs of sensory overload? Now I've trained my body you know, in my, my mind to, to notice this so I can nip it in the bud because I it's very painful to go on sensory overload. And I, I sometimes do when I'm in airports. You know, if I'm stuck somewhere and the plane is late, that's my most vulnerable place because I can't get out and I'm waiting for a plane and it's chaos and it's noisy and there's no escape. And so that's very difficult for me. And so I'll go off into a corner, I'll meditate, I'll go into the bathroom, I'll listen to some music, and try and calm it all down. So, Doctor, would you share 
one or two of your daily self-care practices with our listeners? Yes, uh, learning how to set clear boundaries is very important for empaths. Um, learning how to say no, that no is a complete sentence. You know, learning how to say no. Empaths often wear an invisible sign around them that says, I can help you. And so people flock from far and wide to tell you their problems. I don't know if that happens to you, Joan, but it happens to a lot of empaths. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you have to give yourself permission to say no. You know, I'm not available. Empaths have to learn how to be not available at times. So if somebody comes up to me, let's say, at an airport and, you know, starts talking and then starts telling me their problems, I could sense it rearing up, you know. And so I just say to them, you know, thank you for, you know, saying hi. I'm, you know, having a quiet time now, so I prefer not talking. This is my downtime. And I'll, I'll stop it. You know, I won't just listen to a stranger telling me their life story and all the trials and tribulations that they're going through because it's not healthy for me. I want to pick and choose the people who I listen to, you know, because listening is a great gift. When you sit there and hold space, there's a technique in thriving as an empath called holding space, where you practice sitting with somebody, being in a heart space, being in a loving space, but not trying to fix anything for them. It's holding a space as they're talking to you. And that's very different than what most empaths do, where they try and get in. Well, have you tried this? What about this? Go to this healer. I have a phone number for you. You know, all of that. You know, you just want to hold the space. You don't want to do anything except send loving energy. And that's a skill to learn. And as a psychiatrist, certainly it's the way I function, where I hold space for people. And I help them activate the healer inside of themselves, which is very different than trying to fix them. And empaths often get caught up in trying to fix that people, especially their loved ones who are experiencing suffering, you know. So that holding space for someone is one technique in thriving as an empath. Setting boundaries is another technique. Um, another technique is asking yourself, is this emotion mine or another's? Now, how do you know if you're feeling anxious, if it's yours or somebody else's, if you're an emotional sponge? Because emotional sponge will soak up other people's feelings as well. And so there's a technique on learning how to differentiate other people's emotions from yours, which is a key technique for empaths. And also, you know, in the beginning, I have a, a day devoted to I am not too sensitive and meditating on the gift of sensitivity rather than buying into all the shaming messages that you might have gotten from parents, from teachers, from society. Oh, you're too sensitive. You need to toughen up. Now, that's what my mother used to tell me, you know, where I would come back from shopping malls and crowded places and just exhausted or just not feeling that great. And she would say, oh, dear, you just have to toughen up. You need a thicker skin. And that isn't the solution. You know, it's just well-meaning parents who didn't know better often say things like that, you know, especially in those days. And still, but to know that those shaming messages aren't true, that you don't need to toughen up, but you do need to learn self-care techniques so that you don't suffer by taking on all the different emotions and stresses of the world. And doctor, when you're creating these changes in your life and you're implementing the practices that you prescribe for us, doesn't it also create new pathways in the brain? Doesn't it cause the brain to react differently? Oh, definitely. I mean, just the simple self-care practice of learning to turn off your stress hormones and turn on your endorphins via your thoughts, you know, that's an amazing exercise and it creates new pathways in the brain. Because if you're having a lot of negative thoughts and you worry a lot, that's creating a cascade of stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline in your system. And what that does is put you on sensory overload. That's the fight or flight hormone. So, you know, that will put you, you know, into a panic. And so if you're able to say, um, thank you for sharing, but I'm not going to be obsessing about the same fear a hundred times and I'm going to be thinking a more positive thought, or meditating, that creates endorphins. And the endorphins are the blissful 
neurochemicals in the body that you want in your body. You get them through exercise, you get them through laughter, you get them through meditation, and then you start feeling blissful and calm. And so just by that simple self-care technique that you can read over and over again in the book and just master it, um, you have the power to change your biochemistry and your body, which for an empath is a godsend. And doctor, we're talking about empaths, but these practices can be implemented by anyone. Everyone can benefit from them. Everyone can benefit from them, um, definitely. Um, learning how to work with these, there's just some of the practices strike more home, you know, for empaths because it's just part of empaths are very similar, and we encounter a lot of issues that are the same, and so we we have a deep capacity for understanding each other and what we're going through. And so just some basic skills, you know, can make a huge difference in the quality of your life. And yes, everyone can benefit from the, from these techniques. And what I, you know, I've just been on a book tour and what I've seen, you know, where parents are reading the book to their empath children and they're having like family circles around the book. Mm-hmm. And I love that because parenting is, so important in supporting these empathic abilities in a child. And when a child doesn't even know what's happening, learning, you know, how, how to deal with, you know, your great empathy and your great compassion and not overgive or be overwhelmed all the time. It's just, it's just made my heart so happy to see this. The book is Thriving as an Empath, 365 Days of Self-Care for Sensitive People. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Orloff and her work, you can visit drjudithorloff.com. That's D-R, drjudithorloff.com. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list. Doctor, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like every sensitive person out there to celebrate your abilities, to commit to learning self-care techniques so you can just thrive as an empath and enjoy being sensitive and enjoy being giving and loving and connecting to nature and the universe. Now have it be, you know, a gift in your life and, you know, Put in the effort and the discipline to learn the self-care so that your quality of life can improve. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and for providing tools that can help us manage sensory overload. We have so much stimulation coming at us on a daily basis, and practicing self-care and following your advice can help us thrive. So thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy 
healthy, productive life. But sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Heidi Rome, an autism mom coach and founder of Mom's Spectrum Oasis. Heidi's Autism Hope Mindset System empowers a mom to take back her life while creating a bright future for her Spectrum child. Heidi is here today to discuss the four agreements and the autism journey. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. A pleasure to be here. Heidi, today we're going to discuss the Don Miguel Ruiz book, The Four Agreements, and why you believe this book applies to the autism journey. Before we focus on the actual agreements, generally speaking, why do you believe his words are relevant to those on the journey? Well, many introspective people have, have heard about this book. Uh, the, na- the full name is The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom. It's a personal development book that offers a code of conduct based on ancient Toltec wisdom that advocates freedom from self-limiting beliefs that may cause suffering and limitations in a person's life. Its premise is that everything a person does is based on agreements they have made with themselves, with others, with God, and with life itself. In these agreements, we may tell ourselves who we are, how to behave, what is possible and what is impossible. Now, many agreements are fine, but some come from a place of fear that affects a person's mindset and behavior and so can then deplete that person's emotional energy and self-worth. And the short term for that depletion of emotional energy and self-worth is suffering. So, Joan, as you know, in my work, I discuss how society's tragedy narrative of autism create suffering among autism moms and our families all the time. So I was struck by the parallels with the four agreements and realized how useful its principles could be when applied to living one's life on the autism journey. After all, as an autism mom myself and an autism mom coach, I view everything through that lens. How can this help me and my autistic child live an easier, happier life, reduce my suffering? And if it can help me, how can it help other families who share this journey? So, Heidi, let's look at these agreements. And I want to preface this by saying Don Miguel has been on this show a number of times, and I, and I love this book, and, and I like how you're applying it to moms who are on the autism journey. So let's start with the first agreement, be impeccable with your word. How does this agreement apply to someone who's on the journey? Ruiz states that this agreement, as you know, uh, you've heard him say this yourself, that this agreement is the most important and is the most difficult one to honor. The Latin roots of the word impeccable mean without sin. Ruiz describes a sin to be anything that goes against oneself. And therefore, being impeccable with language means to take responsibility for one's actions and to remain without judgment against oneself and others. In essence, this agreement focuses on the significance of speaking with integrity and carefully choosing one's words, considering their impact before saying them aloud. It means you have integrity. You mean what you say and you say what you mean. Therefore, Being impeccable with your words means you can be trusted, and trust is the foundation of all relationships, all connections, all learning, all building, and moving forward. And this is true for all of life's journey, whether it's the autism path or not. We autism moms know very well how powerful words are. The right word at the right time can encourage our children to stay strong in the face of adversity or can inspire a teacher or therapist to try a new approach if another is not working. It is the key to connection and creating new possibilities. On the other hand, the ill-considered word can end relationships, generate anger and resistance, and destroy hopeful potential as surely and rapidly as a wildfire destroys forests. Autism moms, I'd say, have a heightened awareness of the power of language, because so many of us have kids who cannot speak, or who have unpredictable language, or who have other communication and relationship challenges. 
when every word coming out of your child's mouth is precious, you develop a new appreciation for this extraordinary gift that distinguishes humankind from the animals. And Heidi, what about the next agreement, which is don't take anything personally? This agreement always makes me smile because it reminds me that I tend to take everything personally. <laughs> so do especially, I. Especially, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, especially other people's words and actions toward me. You know, it, um, it's so human because doesn't it really feel personal? Isn't it obviously about me? You know, how self-centered we humans can be. The fact is that each of us is operating in a world of our own unique perceptions, reactions, and interpretations of reality. This means that what we say and do is a reflection of who we are more than it is a reaction to the external world. So if someone says or does something that hurts our feelings, we can step back and consider what's going on with them that they would say or do that. This is about them not me. So, Joan, I I gave the example during one of our um, Autism Journey chats, a common experience that I had. um, It's a common experience among autism families of having some family and friends disappear in the aftermath of the autism diagnosis. Of course, this feels very hurtful. Yet, according to agreement number two, the decision of some individuals to disappear is not about you or your autistic child personally, it is a reflection and result of how they feel and react in the face of another's grief or difficulty based on their own lives and beliefs. What kind of day were they having when they said or did X? When we don't take things personally, we can step back and have compassion for other people's fears and limitations. This protects us from suffering from feeling so sad and angry and disappointed when our expectations are not met. When we let go of compulsively needing to control what other people think of us, we are independent and free to say and do exactly what we feel and think according to our own inner compass that is quietly always guiding us toward our highest good. When we can listen to it and not to other people. Heidi, I hate to say this, but we're out of time for today, but I want to continue this conversation. So the next time Heidi is back on the show, we will talk about the third and fourth agreements. In the meantime, if you would like more information about Heidi and her work, you can visit momsspectrumoasis.com. That's moms with an S. Or as always, you can hear more from Heidi by visiting our website, cyacyl.com slash Heidi. We'll be right back. Can stress be a benefit to you? It can be a struggle to manage the stress of daily life. With a little time, awareness, and education, you could actually use stress to your benefit. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. Let's look at the upside of stress. In Kelly McGonigal's TED Talk, How to Make Stress Your Friend, she referred to a study of 30,000 adults in the United States done for eight years where they asked the adults what level of stress they experienced and if they believed that stress was harmful for their health. Later, they reviewed public records to see who died. People who experienced a lot of stress in the previous year had a 43% increase of dying. But that was only true for those that believe stress is harmful for your health. Think about the physical aspects of the stress response, such as pounding heart and increased heart rate and faster breathing. What if you think that this is the body's way of getting you prepared for the stressful event and making you more able to deal with the stress? It was shown that those people that had a more positive way of looking at stress, such as using it to get geared up for an event, actually did not exhibit the same physical effects of stress, such as constricted blood vessels. Science has shown that when you change your mind about stress, you can change your body's response to stress. If you need a health and wellness coach to assist with stress and a mindset shift, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Are you afraid to go after your goals because you feel you just don't deserve it? Do you feel you aren't smart enough or good enough? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad, and I'm a certified life coach. I help those at a crossroads in life find clarity and direction. I specialize in supporting women with fertility issues. I'd like to discuss an idea called a gremlin. 
A gremlin is your inner critic that tells you in one way or another that you are not good enough. The gremlin thrives in fear. Many times it is our gremlin that holds us back in life from doing what we really want. So here are some tips to deal with your gremlin. Sometimes just recognizing your gremlin and giving it a name can take its power away. Another idea is to say to yourself, that's not me, that's my gremlin talking. If you would like to learn more, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com or you can book a free discovery call at helphopehappy.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Have you ever been passed up for a promotion or feel like you're in a dead-end job? Are you frustrated because no one is giving you a chance? If this sounds familiar, you're not alone. Today's guest, Ron Price, offers strategies to help you grow your influence and impact others at work. Ron is the founder of Price Associates, a global leadership advisory firm, and author of the book, Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. Welcome, Ron. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's great to be with you today. So, Ron, so many people are frustrated at work. Just about everyone I know is miserable. Why do you think this is the case? (laughs) Well, it's probably a complicated question, but I do think that oftentimes we end up frustrated partly because of the culture that we're living in and what we would like it to be compared to what it is. But as much or more so because we often don't recognize the power that's dormant within us to create change from the inside out and how that can help us thrive no matter what environment we find ourselves in. When I was growing up, my parents always told me to work hard and do a good job and and then I would be able to get ahead. But today that doesn't always reap rewards. So what can someone do to get noticed and be heard? Well, I'm I'm reminded that really in any situation, all you can do is all you can do. So what what that really means is what part of this can I exercise influence over or increase my influence over? And one part of it is beyond my reach. So in the book, which is really a fable where uh, the main heroine in the book is a woman who's in middle management in a technology company, and she's experiencing that kind of frustration. She runs into an older gentleman in a coffee shop, and it develops into an informal mentoring relationship. And he encourages her to start by asking the question, what part of my situation can I control 100%? And at first she's puzzled. She doesn't know how to respond to that. But eventually she begins to realize that she has 100% control over herself, how she lives her life, what she does with her time outside of work, how she takes care of herself, how she invests in her learning. That that's the first place to begin to gain influences by gaining influence over what you can control 100%. Then he goes on and talks to her about where she may need the help of others. So in the book, we talk about three different kinds of influence or three circles of influence we refer to them as. The first one we've already talked about, that's the circle of control, the things that we can take 100% ownership of. The second, the circle of collaboration is where we figure out how to collaborate with other people because of shared interests and shared values. And the third we refer to as the circle of concern. These are things that steal my energy, but I can't see how I can influence them directly. How do I turn the volume down on those things so they don't crowd out what I can control and where I can collaborate? And we all have circles of concern. We all have these things that we're worried about. They steal our energy, but at least our ability to influence them is invisible, if not, if unreachable. And learning how to think that way proactively gives us the chance to focus where we can make the greatest difference. And in the long run, it can have a huge impact on our career and the attractiveness that we exude for future promotions. What do you believe makes a strong leader? I I think it's, again, quite a few different things, Joe. But I begin by thinking about how we show up, what our presence is. We refer to this as the character part of your leadership recipe. So it's how do I govern myself? 
What, how do I take care of myself? How do I uh, manage my emotions and manage around priorities? How do I show up at work myself? The second component that we talk about is the expert part of my leadership. What's the value? What's the expertise that I bring to the organization where I serve? And we can all grow our character leadership and we can all grow our expert leadership. So these are the two that we have control over. The third way is how do I carry or how do I follow through um, the responsibilities of the positions that I've been given? So when we're given a position of responsibility, included in it usually is some degree of responsibility and authority. And do I understand what the framework is for that? Do I know what the rules are? And am I following the rules? Do I understand what superior performance looks like? And do I have a clear pathway for developing or performing at a superior level? And then thirdly, do I understand what the appropriate kind of relationships are based on that role that I've been given? So we think that if you, in a way, it's thinking deeper about the three different aspects of leadership, how I show up and what's my character, what's my expertise, and how am I stewarding this role that I've been given? And it's some combination of those three that really prepares you for your next promotion. So in addition to everything that you just described, is there any other advice that you would offer someone who wants to land a promotion? It it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but to get the promotion, I encourage you to forget the promotion. Focus on character and expertise Mm -hmm. and realize that everybody who advances in leadership does it based on three things. First, they solve problems. They turn problems into opportunities, really. Second, they work well with other people, and they inspire other people to make commitments that they wouldn't have otherwise made. And thirdly, they go beyond self-interest and self-promotion to serve something bigger than themselves. If you do those three things consistently, the promotions will come to you. The book is Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. Ron, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? We have a website, uh, price-associates.com. Ron, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I think the most important thing is that every one of us has more potential than we've realized. And the great adventure of life is how can I define that potential? And then how can I pursue it in a way that brings me the fullest joy, the fullest sense of achievement, and the greatest relationships throughout my life? Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's been great to be with you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Would a movie about your life this morning be similar to one about your life yesterday morning and the morning before that and the morning before that? Did you follow the same sequence or pattern of actions? We are creatures of habit. Most of what we do and think comes from habits we have formed during our lifetime. The repetitive aspect of our habits can be particularly helpful. They allow us to get so much done with little mindful effort. However, there is one issue. Sometimes we develop bad habits. To exchange a counterproductive habit for a productive one, follow this three-step process. Admit, analyze, and replace. Admit that the habit is counterproductive and list the reasons why. Analyze the habit as honestly as you can to learn what kind of satisfaction it gives you. List the benefits you've received. Replace the old habit with a new and more effective habit that offers you greater satisfaction. List the benefits you expect to receive and enjoy as a result of replacing the old habits with a new one. Follow your new routines one day at a time. Keep the benefits of the new habits in front of you so you don't give up or slip back into old patterns. If you'd like to learn more about building positive habits for improved results, call me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website at star1professional.com. Do you practice Ahimsa? Ahimsa is defined as respect for all living things and avoidance of violence. Do no harm towards yourself or others. Hi, I'm Carrie Carapito from KP Holistic Health and Fitness. I'm a yoga teacher and holistic health and lifestyle coach. I'm also a Reiki master and I'm always learning new healing modalities. The first rule of every healing modality I learn is do no harm. Ahimsa is one of the yamas. The yamas are the first of the eight limbs of yoga outlined in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. The yamas are also called the five restraints because they describe what one should avoid in order to advance on their spiritual path. Yoga teaches us that we are all one. We all have the divine in us, so to harm another is to harm oneself. 
Could you imagine what a world this could be if everyone practiced ahimsa? Imagine if everyone practiced meditation every day as well. The Dalai Lama once said, if every eight-year-old in the world is taught meditation, we will eliminate violence from the world within one generation. Another word similar to ahimsa is metta. Metta is a Pali word meaning loving kindness. Be an example. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Respect all creatures, every living thing, great and small. Practice ahimsa. Practice meditation. Practice metta. They all go hand in hand. Let's make the world a better place. Are you ready to start your yoga journey? Visit my website at knpholistic.com or call 973-823-1600. Namaste. Did you know that when we as women think about caring for ourselves through pregnancy, labor, and the postpartum period, that we often overlook the vital role of a birth and postpartum doula? Hi, my name is Rachel, owner and primary doula at The Village Doula, and I'm here to tell you that a doula isn't just some new age accessory for the super wealthy. Instead, she is a vital educator, guide, support, and coach through one of the most critically transformational times of your life, the time where you will make the transition into motherhood. During my years as a registered nurse, I began to see a gap in care that many mothers were facing. Here are a few reasons why a doula is a vital part of your birthing team. Women who chose to include a doula in their care were 40% less likely to experience cesarean section. Their labors were almost 40 minutes shorter on average, and they experienced a 25% reduction in force and vacuum-assisted births. Women who used a doula in their care also reported feeling overall supported, well, happy, and adjusted in their postpartum period. They also experienced lower rates of postpartum depression and anxiety by almost 35%. This is huge and such an honor to be a part of this process for new families. For more information on closing the gap in care, please visit my webpage at thevillagedoula.life. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us today to discuss dating after divorce is Rosalind Sadaka, the founder of the Child Center Divorce Network. Rosalind is a divorce and co-parenting coach and author of How Do I Tell the Kids About the Divorce? A Creative Storybook Guide to Preparing Your Children with Love. Rosalind is an advisor with nothing but advice. Welcome, Rosalind. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So, Rosalind, divorce is a traumatic experience, and for many... The thought of dating or being with another person can be overwhelming. What advice do you offer to help someone get back into the dating game? Well, it's very important to understand if you're a parent who's divorced, it's different than you're just being a single moving on after divorce. So you, if you have children, you want to mention them early on. You shouldn't keep them a secret. You don't want your children to be a surprise or a sudden thought after the third date. That's not fair to either party and you want to talk about your children proudly so that your your date knows that they're important in your life and they're going to be an integral part of your life. You also want to be authentic about your needs and expectations after the divorce. So don't jump out into the dating world until you've really had time to do some inner thinking and look at your unresolved baggage from the past. I always say that if you can reflect and learn the lesson from your divorce. What part did I play in it? What did I learn that I can do differently next time? Then you're starting off on a fresh new slate and you have an opportunity to meet someone different who is better suited for you. So you need to really look at your experiences and feel the anger, the hurt, the pain, the guilt, the disillusionment, whatever your feelings are, and work on them, release them, let them go. Forgive yourself, forgive your ex, because if there's lessons learned, then the situation was worth moving on for. And then identify what you're looking for in a new partner. You may have been much younger and and more disillusioned about relationships first time around, and now you want to make sure that you're 
getting your needs met or you're changing some of the qualities in your personality so that you're a better partner. So you want to be very honest with, with new dates. Don't pretend to be what you're not because your partner's going to find out who you are. Teasing your partner into thinking they're with someone who isn't really who you are isn't really a long-term strategy. Be authentic, share your authentic self, and be proud of who you are. And then you're going to be able to find someone who is authentic themselves and who will be a better partner. And please trust your intuition and look for red flag warning signs because people usually tell us who they are. We just don't always want to look and see and notice. So if someone is mistreating you, don't just put it off. because that's not going to become a better situation. It's going to become a worse situation. So notice notice abusive behavior, disrespectful behavior, people who um, have low integrity or who lie, who aren't responsible, Uh, jealousy, too quick attachment, mood swings, anger issues, verbal threats. All of those are red flags that you want to pick up on early and move on because you deserve better than that. And also make sure your expectations are realistic. Are your demands about height or weight or financial success realistic? And are they important enough to disregard other qualities that a partner may have that that really make them a good candidate to be with you? You want to be mature and responsible in what you're thinking about and that unrealistic. The biggest mistake in relationships is unrealistic expectations that no one can live up to, and then we get disappointed and we move on to someone else and we keep moving on and on and on. So you want to give your Mr. or Miss Wright an opportunity to show you who they are and why they're the real one, and be patient with yourself. This isn't going to happen overnight. Try to enjoy dating and enjoy the process of meeting new people and allowing yourself to explore this new opportunity in your life. Also, when someone goes through a breakup, there is usually a, a lot of pain that's associated with that, and, and it's difficult to trust someone again. Is there something that you can offer our listeners to help them move through that pain and learn to trust? Yes, and that's a very important question. First, you want to learn to forgive yourself, because if you can't forgive yourself and trust yourself, you're not likely to do that with another partner. And you want to be able to test people on a very slow, steady basis. So when, when they do the things that they say they're going to do or promise to do or show up when they do, that's a check mark in the box that says this person is trustworthy. And slowly over time, test the waters with bigger and bigger expectations. You don't want to dive into a serious relationship before you really get to know someone. And very often for the first few months, people are on their best behavior. We're seeing a facade. We want to show up the best us we can. So it takes time to get to know someone. And I always talk to my coaching clients about get to see someone when they're sick, when they've been fired, when they've been through a crisis, and and how do they handle that? because everyone's having a wonderful time dating when when life is treating them well. But when things are not going well, how are they handling that? That's a good sign of their true personality and whether you can trust them. And if they pass on those small tests and keep passing on the larger tests, then the chances are you're talking to someone who's a good candidate for moving deeper into a relationship. Rosalind, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Nothing But Advice, you can visit their website, nothingbutadvice.com. And as always, to hear more about mental health issues, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash nothingbutadvice. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Want help? No thanks, I can do it myself. How often do we hear ourselves say that? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. 
As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. Our clients have very busy lives that include demanding careers. They call us to help them streamline their lives and in the next breath say, I just can't delegate. Freeing up time and space is difficult if we insist on doing everything ourselves. Here are a few tips for accepting help and delegating. Forget what others may think of you if you ask for help. You are not weak or less than if you need a hand. People need each other. We're all good at something, but few of us are good at everything. Let others do what they are good at. Let go of absolute control and perfectionism and trust your helper. Done is better than perfect. Getting help is good self-care. It frees up your time for the people and activities you love. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help you get more done in less time. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com and we'll explore what you can delegate. If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctors told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to foreveryoung.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four, everyoung.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.